Hello, and welcome to the Embody Podcast. This is Candace Wu, and today I share a lovely conversation with Heather Freilich, a good friend and colleague of mine, the owner of Heather Freilich LMT Bodywork and Massage, based in Wicker Park, a friendly neighborhood of Chicago. In this podcast, Heather shares with us her gifts, how her dance career has been an essential part of her life and her offerings to the world, the experience of being human and having emotions, the myth that we're healed or zen at some point, saying no and having healthy boundaries, and also how the body talks to us. Heather has a beautiful gift of talking with our fascia, muscles, and body, and teaches this to all those around her. She brings the lightness, joy, and ease in self-care of the body, heart, and soul. And her last name, Freilich, even means joy. And that is exactly what I experience her as. In essence, Heather brings forth a compassionate listening ear to each session, workshop, or women's circle and helps clients empower themselves on their road to recovery. And without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Heather. Hi, Heather. Welcome to the show. I'm honored to be here. (laughs) Thanks for being here. I um, have just admired your work from before I even knew you for years. I think I told you, but could you tell our listeners what you're about and who you are? Of course. Well, I own a bodywork practice in Wicker Park, and um, it specializes in a form of treatment called myofascial release, but I also combine it with cranial sacral therapy, Reiki, and reflexology, as well as my previous background as a professional dancer. So it's uh, uh, an approach to the body that's very well-rounded and um, and the energy systems that are very well-rounded as well. And I like to work with people, you know, focusing on their individual needs and where they're at in the moment rather than approaching the body as like a cookie cutter kind of um, approach where it's just this formula of working with the body because everybody's different and everyone has their own experiences to bring to the table. So as best I can, I try to intuitively work with people in the moment drawing from those tools that I just shared with you that I draw from. It's beautiful. And I I have felt your work in that way, the intuitive nature of it. Um, And also you as a dancer, can you say about how that's influenced your healing work and your, um, all of the pieces you put together now? Oh, for sure. Um, Well, with regard to dancing, not only is there a, a physical aspect to the work, obviously, you know, you're moving your body in such a way to um, bring choreography to life on the stage. However, there is also an energy behind that as well. The energy that the dancer plays with and off of the audience, um, with and off of the other dancers that are on stage. And if it's a solo, you know, how do you uh, take your energy and, and and make it big enough to be that solo dancer on a huge stage. And that has been a surprising twist in the body work I do because I originally went into this field to learn a little bit more about how to heal my own body from dance injuries that I had had. And going into it, I was just more about the physical aspect of the human body. But little did I know there is also an energy when you are doing healing work with people and approaching the body from that standpoint rather than just like working with a body as if it's a piece of meat. You know, I know. <laughs> I, there's, um, it, you need to, it, at least I've found, you know, have an awareness on how to 
um, enter into someone's energy field and respect them from uh, the place of where they're at. And I feel like dance surprisingly had trained me so well in that before I even entered into the world of energy work. Mm -hmm. So that's um, very much come naturally to me. And I think that that has really helped me create a space for people to come in and to be felt um, and seen as an individual rather than just another body to work on. That sensitivity is something dance really taught me. Yeah, you're really attuned and it's almost as if you're having a conversation with my body when I've had an experience with you. Um, what is your take on that and how the healing is working? Oh, yeah. Um, well, that's really awesome to hear that that's what you experience because uh, that's the intention I, I do my best to go in with, you know, to each session. Um, so with regard to healing, I don't heal people. I am not someone that has this magic um, power that can, you know, transform people out of their pain. That, to me, that's not how healing works. Uh, my mentor, John F. Barnes, talks a lot about healing happens through feeling. And those aren't his exact words, but you, you have to feel your experience in order to heal it, whether that's pain, whether that's stored up moments of laughter that were stifled down because you were in a quiet place and you couldn't laugh, for example. And um, so when I work with people, there are techniques, whether it's energy techniques, body techniques, that are introduced to the person's being and body. And through those techniques, the body has an opportunity to either soften into the techniques and the client has an opportunity to feel what's going on in their experience and either if they need to let it out through a deep exhale or crying or laughing, whatever it may be, the work creates a space for the client to be able to feel what's going on inside of them, to create that connection in their own body. And it's through that connection and it's through the opportunity to stop and feel what's going on where the client can actually move through the healing process rather than hoping to come in for a session, have a massage, and walk out like they just took a pill and it's all masked and covered up. So um, I see myself more as a facilitator to people's healing rather than, oh my God, I heal people. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm totally in line with you on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it sounds like you, in a way, like turn the lights on inside the body and the body just goes, oh, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. And I truly believe that everybody's body and being has the capacity to heal under the right circumstances, whatever that may be for that particular person in that particular moment in time. If our fascia could talk. <laughs> and I guess maybe we're speaking more generally, or if you want to talk about yourself, but if our fascia could talk, what it would it what would it be saying? Oh, it could be saying a number of things. And it does talk. It definitely does. Um, our fascia is talking. It is. And it's it's considered the tissue of consciousness. So um, for those of you who have seen, you know, Avatar, for example, like just thinking of a depiction, there's a tree in Avatar where the characters go up to it and they hold on to the, to the branches and they hear memories from people long ago. And this tree has stored those memories. That's very similar to what happens in the fascial tissue. 
So if there's an experience or a trauma that happens and the person experiencing it doesn't experience it to its full capacity at the moment of onset, it gets stored in the fascia. It doesn't just leave the person's being, it gets stored in their body. Until the fascia is addressed and has an opportunity for that memory or that experience to come up to the surface so it can be moved through and healed after that, um, it just, it can stay stuck in the tissue. And the fascia can speak through placing 2,000 pounds of pressure per square inch on the person's system until it's dealt with to open up and let go. So the fascia can definitely speak by trying to get our attention through pain. Um, but oh, once, it, oh yeah, but once it's released and fluid and free, the sensations that you can feel in your body that maybe you forgot what it felt like to have freedom in your body or never even knew it's amazing when you feel that openness within your physical being and how that affects you energetically. I love the way you describe that. And speaking of energetically, I know that you work with the chakras mm -hmm. and um, you've held women's circles and groups exploring that. Um, tell me about tell me about what's been interesting for you around that lately. Oh yeah. Um, well, I was called to facilitate women's circles. I had been participating in circles for over a decade myself personally, and they have been a grounding rock for me during times good and bad and anywhere in between. Being able to come together on a monthly basis with a supportive group of female friends um, has been incredibly healing for me. I mean, much like our menstrual cycle comes once a month, you know, it's once a month gathering together and tuning in in that way helped catapult me to rise up to anything I had going on in the month thereafter. So what I was noticing with what clients had shared with me, and obviously, you know, I'm not a therapist, so I can't, you know, work in a, a psychotherapeutic model, if you will. However, clients do share a lot with me during sessions and I hold the space just to listen. And if it seems appropriate to refer them to the appropriate therapist, I will do so. Um, however, what I had heard from a lot of these women were wanting a space to connect, to connect with themselves, to connect with other women, not to feel so isolated in this day and age of technology where so many people are glued to their, their cell phones and computers. And so... One day I received an email from a colleague that you and I both know um, regarding a women's circle facilitation training and the lights went off in me. I was like, okay, let's do this. So I, I received my training to actually facilitate women's circles uh, and not just participate. And that's where um, the first circle I had offered called the chakra movement came about and what I had heard through the women that I'd worked with individually, one-on-one, -on -one, wanting a space to connect, was very much apparent in the circle of women that came together for that particular group. And coming back together once a month for eight months really proved to be a, um, a solid ground for them to come back to each month so they can spring forward into their, their life, you know, outside of the circle in a more balanced, centered uh, knowing themselves approach. And we used the chakra system, not used, but we worked with the chakra system 
to be able to help facilitate their healing during our time together. So Heather, there's this myth out there that there's just at some point a place where people feel healed or think that they should be healed at some point. Um, do you experience that? Oh, a lot. Yes. A lot of people make comments to me like, oh, you're, you're so zen. You're so at peace all the time. How do you do it? And of course, when I'm working with people, I do my best to get to that place because of the fact that I need to be centered in order to work with them and um, work with them to the best of my ability. However, that's not the full Heather. That's not the real person inside. There are a array of emotions that I go through every day. And uh, while I have definitely healed some deep wounds from my past, sometimes they can still rear their head. And it's through the tools that I had learned along the way to help with the healing that's already taken place that I can draw from in present day moments where it, where they rear their head again to be able to move through the experience and circle back to my center. So while, while the experiences, you know, of, of turmoil, if you will, are few and far between in certain, certain circumstances, like they don't trip me up as often as they used to, they're still there. And I don't know one person in our related fields that has it all together, that is 100% healed and has no other work to do. If there's no other work to do, you know, there's, where's the life in that? You know, life is about, to me, is about experiences and different experiences are going to come and some of them may trip us up a little bit, but how can we as consciously as we can move through them with the healing tools that we know I don't know a person that has got it all together yet. Have you? No. I don't know. I don't know a single wellness practitioner, meditation teacher, yoga teacher, massage therapist that or therapist, anyone that is uh completely healed and zen. <laughs> that's just not human. Well, I don't know about you. I feel like that's part of the reason why I got into this work. Un unbeknownst to me, did I find that I would fall in love with it so much that I wanted to make it my full-time career. But at the time I entered massage therapy school, that was actually more for selfish reasons in the sense that I wanted to heal my body. I was a dancer experiencing chronic injuries over and over again. And I knew I loved the studies of anatomy and physiology that I wanted to take it a step further to be like, okay, I want to learn more to heal these chronic conditions that I'm experiencing so I can go back and dance. But during my experience in school, it was like, oh, I actually really like working with people in this manner. I think I'm going to take a, uh, you know, a, a, the fork in the road to the right and actually work with people instead of focusing going back to dance. But it all originally began with my own need to heal. And I know a lot of other practitioners in our fields that had a, a feeling sense that they needed to do some healing work and took their studies even further to also help other people. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what um, I came into most of the different modalities that I practice now, like family constellations and somatic experiencing that I lived it in my bones before even 
beginning to um, offer it to others and, and facilitate it. And that seems like what you do. You live it in your bones, in your cells, in your fascia. I'm curious, what do you do to take care of yourself, to nourish yourself? Yeah, that's been a bumpy road too, actually. Currently, I'll share that, you know, I make sure to receive my own myofascial release sessions. I also see a chiropractor and an acupuncturist on a monthly basis. Um, I practice yoga on a regular basis. I do what I can to get outside and get some nature, you know, in my life and get some fresh air and not be stuck inside all the time, which sometimes can be challenging in the winter in Chicago. However, um, it took me some experiences of being injured as a massage therapist to realize, oh my gosh, I do have to take care of myself because there was a period of time where when I started practicing, I was all about helping people that I forgot to help myself. The original intention, I had to go to massage school until I had a shoulder injury and I couldn't work for a month. It was like, oh, wait, I can't forget myself too. Yes, it's, I think it's noble to go out and want to help other people. But if you don't help yourself, you literally cannot help other people. And in that case, when I had to take a month off, I literally couldn't because I had to heal myself and my shoulder. And so there was no work for me to be able to do with others. So it's like, that's when I really started getting the picture. Oh, wait, I need to receive treatments. I need to make sure I'm on top of my exercise and eat as healthy as possible, you know? Um, and I, I do my best to listen to my body. I'm not, I don't eat like a strict diet. I eat what I feel my body wants to be nourished by. Uh, for example, I don't exercise all the time, super hard. I do what I feel like my body needs. One day it might feel like yoga. The other day it might feel like cardio on an elliptical machine. One day it might be a dance class. You know, I do my best just to listen to, to where this vessel is at. Can you tell us an example of how you were giving too much or not taking care of yourself and putting others first? Oh, of course. So in my practice, I got to a point where I was booking out or currently am booking out a month or two in advance and having some issues trying to fit in my current clientele that I see on a regular basis because of new clients wanting to come in, which I'm so grateful for. However, I had a challenging time at first saying no to new clients coming in and also trying to fit in my current clients to the point where I was spreading myself way too thin. My working days hands-on with people was much longer than I had ever worked before. And it wasn't until I noticed I would wake up in the morning exhausted and feeling like, oh my gosh, I have to go in and work with more people now. It was when those kind of thoughts were coming up, it was like something has to change and it has to change within me. So that's when I started putting up some boundaries and saying no to new clientele for a little while so I can fit in my current clients without overextending myself. And as a practitioner, especially when you work for yourself, it's saying no to people may or may not, depending on the person, be a challenge. And for me, at first it was until I started saying no and taking care of myself by not overextending myself, did I realize, oh, that was the best thing that could have happened. Mm. I totally get that. It can be so enticing, especially to 
just want to help more people. Um, sometimes you get a referral that you're just so happy that and grateful and you want to be able to accommodate that. Or we just get in linear thinking uh, and we think, you know, more is better or something. But it sounds like you're talking about feeling a quality of life and really enjoying your practice. Exactly. And clients can feel that. The quality over the quantity has become for sure my uh, go-to model that I'm doing my best to work with right now. Because not only do I enjoy my work more, however, clients feel that enjoyment more and the sessions tend to be more um, uh, effective for the people that are coming in because I'm coming from a more uh, centered, joyous place rather than, oh my gosh, I have to work with someone else kind of place. No one wants to receive a a session from a therapist that's in that space. (laughs) Yeah, I can totally feel that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and speaking of challenges, what, you know, just broadening it, I find that people are interested in hearing from anyone they know what's going on in their lives and um, are you struggling with stuff too? Because I am. What are some of the current struggles you're having or life themes that you're working with that you experience? I would say the most prevalent one right now is, you know, I'm going to be turning 40 this year. And what does that mean? First of all, because I don't feel 40 necessarily. However, coming into this stage in life, one of the main things I'm noticing is really trusting myself and trusting my intuition in my own day-to-day experiences. I feel very strongly that I trust my intuition during my work, but in my outside relationships, in the activities I involve myself in, in the life choices that I'm making outside of my practice and also with my practice. 40 to me feels like the new 30 in a way because I still feel young and vibrant. I don't feel like 40 is old at all. However, I do feel like it's a level of adulthood that I'm stepping into where it's like very important for me to trust my intuition in my all my dealings as best as I can instead of constantly turning to other people to answer the questions for me. And when you say trusting my intuition, I notice you taking your hand and putting it right at your gut. Um, what do you feel when you truly trust your intuition? I feel that there's no questioning about the action that I'm taking. <laughs> no questioning. It feels a woman I rent space from, Carrie Rogers over at Tribe, she one time said to me, light and right, when it, it feels light and right, like she had said. And if I'm not following the intuition, it feels very deep and not deep, heavy and weighted and following my gut. It just feels more natural. And I feel like I come alive in my body, in my spirit, in my emotions. I can relate so much to that. And someone once told me that, especially for me, if it's not an obvious yes, it's a no. Mm. Because sometimes I live in the middle space it's a little murky and a little heavy, <laughs> and I debate it for a while. But if it's not an obvious yes, it's a no. That's awesome. If you don't mind, I'm going to put that one in my repertoire because <laughs> it's very helpful. And, and actually, it reminds me of one of my massage um, teachers when I was in school. He would say, when in doubt, don't. And it's kind of very similar. And I had forgotten that he had said that just until this moment. So, you know, perhaps that's another 
way to think about moving from that intuitive space rather than the heady space. Yeah, I love that. And I love what you said about light and right Mm -hmm. as well. Like all three of those seem like I can keep them in my back pocket and use them. Yes, yes. (laughs) Another thing along those lines uh, that I've been sitting with is giving myself permission to be able to live in that way. There has been so much healing work of my own that I've done over stuff that had felt so heavy and intense. Now that I've moved through some of that, I have experienced what life could be like feeling lighter and more connected and centered and um, in a way enjoyed. Now, you know, stepping into this new decade of my life, giving myself permission to live life from that light and right place is uh, another thing that I'm working towards. And it's, I find it's very easy to, you know, work with clients being like, you know, you can do it. You deserve to live life, you know, feeling good and feeling like this way. And now it's like, oh, wait, doesn't that include me too? I would hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that many people are struggling with that permission and waiting for someone to give them permission. And that someone is, now, usually ourselves. Do you find that in your work too? In my work, I I notice it with people who almost have an addiction to their pain, are afraid to let that go for whatever reason that may be, whether they feel they don't have a right to, or they need permission to, or it's what makes their life make sense on some level. And on a personal level, I've noticed that Waiting for permission for someone else to give me this unseen permission to live my life according to my heart and own terms comes from more of a place of, once again, not trusting myself and looking to other people for the answers. Just the very nature of what you're saying, asking someone or waiting for someone else to give permission makes me think about just the level, like the need for safety from someone else. And that comes from so many places, but we are now adults and we don't need that same kind of safety as we may have once needed. So it just makes me think about that. And that's actually something that I've noticed a lot. I don't know if it's living in a city like Chicago or what it is, but so many people feel unsafe in their bodies. And when you feel unsafe viscerally on a visceral level, trying to make yourself feel safe mentally and emotionally I don't want to say is impossible, but it's pretty, a lot of hard work has to go into that to try to make that happen. And sometimes it's, it won't happen because your body is feeling otherwise. And our bodies, whether consciously or subconsciously, what you're feeling in them can easily override what our thoughts might be. Well, now I'm thinking about the collective nervous system and just how unsettled we all are in the entire world. What advice do you have for people or what tools can you offer to support just building safety? I think of this one study that I had heard, and I apologize, I'm not going to know, I'm not going to be reiterating the exact facts uh, to a T. There was a study, though, of of people coming together, I believe it was in Washington, D.C. years ago, Hundreds of thousands of people coming together to meditate. The Transcendental Meditation Study. Ooh, I may get it wrong too, but the author might have been um, last name Travers. 
I'm not sure about that, but I will take your word for it. <laughs> um, but when these people came together to study, the amount of crime that was taking place amongst the city had lowered significantly due to all these people meditating. That's something that I've held on to any point in time where I notice that I become shaken up about the current state of affairs and even just how I may feel on any given day of that study of tapping into that collective unconsciousness of those people that are meditating, that are coming to life from a place of hope, um, that are doing their healing work, you know, just tapping into that space within me, but also thinking about all those other people out there that are doing the same thing. And that not everybody is involved in this corrupt experience over here that's freaking me out, but really focusing on, oh, what else are other people doing too? How can I tap into that so I could feel better in the moment here and maybe perhaps have an effect on someone else that I might not be seeing right now? Yeah, you're bringing up something so important is to while acknowledging what is going on in the world, shift your focus to what you can do and what's also happening already that's positive and healthy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because I I was listening to something um, Wayne Dyer had once shared with the story of, of dandelions, you know, the dandelions when they're at that stage where it's like that white puffy flower. And if someone goes and into their yard and they see that, you know, all this growth of these dandelions happening in their yard and they take a shovel and just like smash them, what happens to those seeds? They become dispersed and more dandelions will grow in the next, you know, coming year. And I think he was talking about that being akin to hatred, for example, like, you know, you, you, you see the hatred that's going on out in the world, but then you, you know, if you give into that, that hate of, what everyone else, you know, that person's wrong, that person's wrong, I don't like that person, blah, 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 blah. That's just spreading more hatred seeds with whomever you come in contact with. What can we do to focus on the more accepting, loving thoughts and seeds and interactions? And how can that spread from one person to the next? That is something that I try to focus on, you know, when it seems very um, easy to go the other way. Yeah, that's really helpful. So Heather, how do you then spread seeds of positivity in the winter? (laughs) That's an awesome question because as you know, Chicagoans love to complain about the weather and I know I have been there myself. Over the years though, I've noticed that what I love about the winter in Chicago is that life outside my home or the four walls of wherever I find myself tends to be a lot quieter. And I love walking in the snow and like hearing the snow crunch under my feet, but like hardly anything else going on around me. Whereas in the summertime, there's so much life that's out and about and a lot of noise outside that I've come to really enjoy the quiet reflectiveness of winter. And it's just not only helped me get in touch more with myself, you know, being indoors a little bit more, enjoying the quiet when I am outside, it um, allows me to slow down a little bit and prepare for the lively seasons of spring and summer that lie ahead. And so by honoring and noticing how life all around me quiets down and slows down 
it helps me get in touch with that in my own nature. And then once life becomes more lively comes spring, then I'll have the energy to be able to join that, if, if you will. And that's helped me cope with not complaining so much about the fact that it's so darn cold outside. <laughs> You're really aligning with the cycle of the seasons, the cycle of the year. And also I hear you feeling um, gratitude for what it can bring. That has lent to a more um, joyous outlook because before I tapped into this, I mean, I was just as miserable as the next person, you know, complaining about the winter, can't wait for it to be over. And in the meantime, I found myself just like not enjoying my day. And it was like, I'm alive now. Why am I wasting my time feeling bitter in this coldness? Like I felt cold inside as well. And it just, it just felt like a waste of time after a while. So let's switch gears here a little bit and talk about your practice. You've talked a little bit about it already, but uh, for all the wellness practitioners out there that might be listening as well, um, something I know that a lot of uh, practitioners are challenged with is how do they uh, clear their energy or stay grounded or um, feel that they have solid boundaries, that they're not taking on the energies of their clients or their patients um, what, what's your experience with that? That's a great question. And that's one that I know is still taking practice. Uh, and I think we'll always will on, at least in my experience, first and foremost, learning how to say no was huge. I've noticed any time I have overworked myself, it was next to impossible to stay centered. And when it's next impossible to stay centered in my experience, the more I noticed my empathy on hyperdrive, I was exhausted. Um, I would pick up other people's emotions and not know how to process them myself. So saying no was huge, first and foremost. Uh, next to that, I find that sleep, simple sleep, getting enough hours of sleep at night helped me immensely be able to process in my dreams what has taken place so I can get ready for the next day. Salt baths have been huge. Um, and anything I can do to stay centered. And once again, like I shared before, that changes day to day for me. If it means that, you know, I have to go out with some friends, you know, on a Friday night and have a really good time because I've been working so much and that good time helped balance me out a little bit, you know, to go into my next day, so be it. If it means eating a, a cleanse, you know, having a, having a cleanse, taking a cleanse, you know, nutritionally for a week, uh, so be it. If it means, you know, upping my yoga practice, it just really depends on what that is on any given day. So doing what I can outside of my practice to nourish myself with activities that I enjoy doing and whatever that may be in the moment, you know, may shift and uh, that all those things help keep me centered. And when I'm centered and working with people from that place, it becomes a lot easier to naturally have those necessary boundaries that are needed as a practitioner working with clients. And so then what do you do when you have picked up other people's emotions or energies? It depends on the situation. Um, sometimes it's as simple as letting the emotion run through me. If I have to, there's been a couple of times where I've been working in session with people where there's been intense crying that takes place from the client that I'm working with. And sometimes I will feel the emotion so heavily that I'll just let some tears flow out as well. I, I won't break down while I'm working with them, but just 
feeling what they're experiencing, let it run through me so it can pass. Once again, staying centered in the manner that I shared with you just before. And if it happens to be a really intense day, for example, where there's a lot of um, heavy energy or intense energy of the people that I'm working with, I will definitely make sure and go home and not do work, but go home, take a salt bath, write, um, paint, do anything I can that I enjoy to express what's coming up and out of me to be able to let that energy move through is what I found has been most helpful. Sometimes I will do some shamanic practices like having a ring of fire around me or picturing myself covered in rose petals. Uh, However, there are moments where I'm working with people and in the moment I might lose that image in my head. And that's when I connect with my spirituality and prayer. And I'll just, you know, if I notice I lose that visual image in my mind of the fire and the rose petals, I'll just say a quick prayer. And that tends to help center me right away. That's just been my personal experience. Just saying, I I need help or, you know, uh, help move this through me or what can be done next or whatever the words that may come to mind. There's so much acknowledgement in that. Like it's, it's here. Help me. Yeah. Yeah. So what kinds of challenges have you come across lately in your practice? Um, I heard about saying no, right? Um, Are there other things? Fortunately, they're not a ton right at the moment. I would say if the two things that come to the forefront of my mind is how to work with a clientele load that is thriving and overflowing, which I'm so grateful for. I I didn't expect my practice to get to this point where, you know, my schedule's booking out a month or two in advance. So I didn't necessarily prepare for that. So I'm just taking it one step at a time, one day at a time, uh, trying to do my best to uh, accommodate my current clients and, and work with the quality that I bring to the table and go from there. Literally to the table. Yeah, exactly. Literally. And um, aside from that, you know, sitting with where I want to go next. You know, people have asked if I'm going to open up my own space or if I'm planning on doing more teaching or whatever that may be. And just sitting with what is next because I'm enjoying my experience so far in the moment that I haven't really thought about that next step. Sometimes it's good to just stay in. (laughs) It is. And honestly, it's so easy to get seduced by, in my experience, overachieving that actually just enjoying where I'm at right now feels very um, unfamiliar to me, yet needed. (laughs) Yeah, it's like we all want to achieve this good feeling. And yet when we get there, we keep running forward and we don't stay and feel into it sometimes. Right. And then you miss it. And so I'm really doing what I can right now just to relish in where I'm at and enjoy it for where, for what it is. And I have a feeling the next step will be shown to me. That's my feeling. I trust that. I'm wondering what advice you have for practitioners, maybe in your field or in other wellness fields that are starting off. My main advice would be just to take it one day at a time one foot in front of the other and do the best that you can with what is right in front of you. Yes, if you have a big picture, you know, have that in mind, but it's really, you know, take that day to day and give it the best you've got. 
And honestly, I don't have a magic business formula. I've been asked before, how did I create a successful practice? I don't think it was just solely me creating it. It was definitely co-created by support seen and unseen around me. Um, I had many dear friends, talented friends help me start off, help me get my website going, help me understand small little things in business up into larger things. Like for example, like make sure to get back to clients within 24 hours, little things like that. Um, and all that I really did is just really put one foot in front of the other, answer the emails the day that I had to answer them, work with the clients I had on my schedule, get back to clients who had contacted me. And then it just grew from there. And pay attention. Pay attention to what is going on around you. Pay attention to what may come up in conversation with friends of yours that might give you an aha moment of like, oh, I need to move in this direction. Oh, maybe I need to offer this at my practice. That feels right. Oh, look at this natural connection that's happening with this person. What could come of that? Really paying attention to that too, because that's something that I had noticed that really helped me along through meeting people that um, I got to collaborate with along the way. And through those collaborations, clients that I've met or other practitioners that I've been able to come in contact with to refer clients to, there's an abundance of possibilities out there if you're willing to pay attention. That's such a good reminder. And um, the one foot in front of the other, just taking one step, even myself have found that I have, sometimes I have this grand vision and because I'm also intuitive, I feel it for myself. It's, and I, you know, practicing visualization, sometimes it's, it's right there and I can pressure myself to, um, have to be there now, but that's, but that there's a whole journey from here to there. And, um, I can be hard on myself sometimes. What do you do when you're hard on yourself or when you find that self-critic come up? Oh my gosh. And that self-critic can be so relentless. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's personally, that's when I turn to spirituality. Um, that's when I, that's when I feel like I surrender and just pray about it. I don't mean to sound pious, but I just feel like I recognize it in myself. And then I just sort of give it up to the creator that I feel connected with in the sense of just, I'm feeling this right now, help me, you know? And I notice like when I take the weight off of my own shoulders and just give it up and let it go, I feel like I'm able to notice in the moment what I have now and that gratitude grows. And then I notice that gratitude growing and what comes to me later on has been nothing short of miraculous. And I'll give you an example. I was talking with a dear friend of mine where one day I was saying, I was in that day where I had this grand vision, but it wasn't necessarily a vision where I can literally see in my mind's eye of what that was, but I felt it. I felt so expansive and alive and just large and shining brightly. I didn't know what to do with myself. You know, so I was talking to, with a girlfriend of mine about that and she like, Heather, just relish in what you're feeling. You know, what do you want to do right now? I'm like, I want to go dance. So I danced and I just kept enjoying this feeling that was coming over me. And then a week later, I received an, a Facebook message from the director of the massage school that I had gone to and was like, hey, would you like to teach myofascial release, you know, to, to fill in for one of our teachers that's he out healing right now? And I was like, huh, 
of course, you know, and I felt like the vibration of him asking me that matched the vibration of what I was feeling that day. And there has been so many circumstances that has happened throughout my years, especially when I started going off on my own um, as an individual practitioner. That's happened time and time again. Heather, I believe that each of us, each of our lives is an expression of some message, some gift. What do you feel that is for you? So that has shifted for me quite a bit over the years, whereas before, especially when I was a dancer, and even to this day, I notice I can get an overambition attack and working so hard to achieve my goals. That's what I was like as a dancer. And I was working my body to the bone to the point where I injured myself so many times that I couldn't even do or enjoy what I loved the most at that time, which was dance. And so while I've gone through my own healing journey and have received my own body work and have worked through some challenges on the, you know, mental, emotional and spiritual levels, I'm able to enjoy my life and enjoy my experiences now. I'm able to enjoy dance again because my body doesn't hurt so much. So what I really feel that my life is about and what I have to bring to the table, if you will, is enjoying my time here on this earth. I notice when I enjoy myself more, the best of myself I'm able to naturally bring to other people. And this is reminding me too, some people have pointed this out to me. My last name, Freilich, means joy. And (laughs) some of my friends had pointed that out to me when I was going through challenging times. And I really think that that's a huge part of my life right now is living that last name. That's powerful and so deep. And I'm, I'm just thrilled for you that you just connect with it so well. And thank you for that reminder. Thank you. I'm grateful to have connected with that as well, because it was eluding me for a long time. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Heather. It's been such a pleasure. And uh, I appreciate you. Thank you, Candice. I appreciate you too. Now, with over a decade of massage therapy experience, over two decades of professional dance and movement education experience, and women's facilitation training, Heather brings forth an intuitive blend of bodywork modalities to tailor each of her sessions to meet her clients' individual needs. And I know this from personal experience. It is fabulous working with Heather. She primarily draws from myofascial release, deep tissue massage therapy, cranial sacral work, Reiki, and reflexology. Many of our clients are those experiencing chronic pain, neck and shoulder injuries, headaches, low back pain, and plantar fasciitis. And she offers annual circles to support women on their healing journey. She also recently started teaching myofascial release classes at her alma mater, the New School for Massage. What I love about Heather is how she incorporates the spiritual and emotional aspects if you bring those to her. And before I leave today, I'd like to thank you for listening and invite you to subscribe to the Weekly Embody podcast at candicewu.com slash podcast, or learn more about me, get lots of free resources on embodiment and healing, meditations, and more by going to candicewu.com slash embody. See you next time on the Embody podcast.